Hello everyone and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry and for this episode I'm actually going to be running the show all by myself. Uh, Danny Hatch is hard at work on a student film project right now, um, but it's been a few weeks since our last episode and so I thought I would take some time to catch you guys up on some of the recent releases in uh, October. And uh, also, I got something a little bit special in mind coming down the road in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, let's talk about some of these movies. I think it's been, uh, it's definitely been a more prolific month, I guess you could say. Uh, September is usually kind of a downtime in the, the movie world. We've talked about this before where, you know, if a movie shows a lot of promise and the studio believes in it, they'll usually release it during the summer because there's, you know, a better chance of making a lot of money. Uh, and if it's not a good fit for summer... Uh, but they're, you know, really excited about it. Usually it's a good holiday release. Uh, And that means that usually September is kind of a downtime. And uh, luckily, things start kind of picking up in October. And sure enough, over the last few weeks, we've been seeing some some bigger names coming through, some bigger titles. The first of the three movies that I'd like to cover is Venom Let There Be Carnage, which of course is the sequel to the original Venom from a couple of years back. Uh, This one really is very split because I think that there is one element of this movie that is absolutely fantastic and really, really enjoyable and almost carries the film, but not quite. And the other half of the film just really falls flat for me. And so this one just, I don't know, I had a, I had a tough time with this one. And it, as of right now, it feels like the poster child for my fatigue when it comes to superhero movies. Um, like I said, so this is this is the sequel, and uh, if you've seen the first one, you're probably familiar with the idea that Tom Hardy uh, plays a journalist named Eddie Brock who kind of comes into contact with this this alien, the sentient alien goop that's kind of a uh, it's kind of a parasite, you know, needs to glom on to a human being or some other kind of organism in order to really function. And so he's kind of got this symbiotic relationship going on where uh, uh, Tom Hardy just kind of looks like himself most of the time, but then this this Venom character kind of emerges and can kind of take over when they need to do super things. And for the most part, uh, the, uh, the the mayhem and chaos is kept in check, and, and, and Brock makes sure that their efforts are, are geared towards being good guys. Um, but of course, you know, you can just see from the poster art and from the the visuals that this is kind of a scary character and uh, just ready to go off at any moment. Um, and the dynamic between uh, Brock and Venom, um, and incidentally, uh, the Venom character also is voiced by Tom Hardy. Uh, this is really the highlight for me. Um, I went into this one, admittedly, uh, with a little bit of nervousness just because, you know, like I say, I I'd, I'd seen the trailer for this one, and it just looked like another routine superhero movie where, you know, you've got your hero, and suddenly, oh, well, there's a new bad guy, and here's the new bad guy, and then they fight, and that's it. And as far as the plot goes, that's really about all this movie has to offer. Um, the, the only reason that it's watchable is because the Venom character is so funny, and, and the, the dynamic and the interaction between Venom and Brock is really fun to watch, and and the you know there's there's a pretty strong subplot, kind of a, a parallel narrative going through the the film that's dealing with kind of the identity crisis that uh, that both of these characters are dealing with, and how they're trying to you know get along 
living in this kind of this uneasy union and you know there's a there's a breakup at one point that lasts a little while and and that kind of stuff i found really interesting and engaging and thought was pretty funny and of course tom hardy just he's a really great actor and and that by itself was almost enough to make uh, let there be carnage uh, watchable i lost interest as soon as any fights broke out and and basically anything that connected to the the new villain uh, plot just I thought was kind of a waste. Um, of course, I love Woody Harrelson, and uh, we also have Naomi Harris, uh, who play the basically the, the tandem uh, bad guy heavy characters. And uh, Harrelson, of course, is is Carnage, and which is without going too much into it, it's it's basically a uh, you know a spinoff of of Venom. Uh, Harrelson's character bites Eddie Brock on the arm at one point, and because Brock has this unique blood and this parasite, it actually creates kind of a new venom, which is called Carnage. And uh, yeah, and like I said, that the plot doesn't offer a whole lot because basically, you know, it creates the new bad guy, and then the bad guy breaks out of prison and there's a big showdown and that's really about it. And if it wasn't for the dynamic between uh, Hardy and himself, (laughs) between Brock and Venom, there would be absolutely no reason to watch this movie. On the plus side, I really did enjoy No Time to Die, the latest James Bond installment. And the final Daniel Craig film uh, and the 25th James Bond movie. So lots of lots of significance to this one, um, and and the movie lives up to it. Now, the one thing I have to say is that one of the reasons I really enjoyed this movie was because it was very, uh, very non James Bond like. Uh, I mean, the elements of the formula are there. I mean, you still have uh, kind of a new bad guy and a new threat to you know civilization and Bond has to, you know, in this case, kind of come out of retirement and face off with this, this new nemesis. So, so the, the, the fundamentals are still there, but it still felt very different. It felt more like Skyfall in that, you know, this is a, this is still a spy movie. It's still a Bond movie, but it's not just kind of going through the motions. Um, there's more development in his life. Uh, in the previous movie, uh, Bond had taken off with Madeline, you know, his uh, the love of his life. And, of course, they're still at the beginning of this movie as well. And uh, rather than just kind of be, you know, a sleeping around with, with everyone he meets, you know, kind of routine James Bond, uh, this one... I don't know. Well, I mean, for one thing, he's he's monogamous, and uh, there's just there's just more to it. Um, now, the one thing I would criticize is that the new bad guy does kind of fall into the kind of falls into the cliche of, well, the bad guy that you thought was the main bad guy was really just you know he's nothing compared to this new bad guy who's even worse. And I've noticed that sometimes you know franchises will kind of go through this where. They try to build up to one real, you know, nemesis, but then to kind of keep things going, they have to suggest that they have to downplay, you know, the the big nemesis and say, oh, well, this is really, you know, the person who is really pulling the strings or is even worse or something like that. And 
And that's my primary criticism of this movie. Um, there are a lot of things I really enjoyed about it. It was, it's fun because when Bond comes out of retirement, we discover that there's a new agent who has his his call number. Uh, there's been you know some press about the idea of having a female James Bond, and that's that's effectively what this is: is that you have a new character who has his his numbers. She's not called James Bond. Um, and then uh, Ana de Armas uh, plays an agent, a new agent in uh, in a, a brief scene in Cuba that is just a lot of fun. And and so the movie's having a good time, but it's also you know it's a it's a bit heavier. And you know I'm actually going to talk about it a little bit more later in the episode. But uh, overall, I did I'd really enjoy this one. And uh, as somebody who doesn't really consider himself a big James Bond fan, this is one I had a good time with. Uh, both No Time to Die and Venom are rated PG-13. Um, no surprise in the case of the Bond movie. A little strange in the case of the Venom movie because it, there is kind of a dark, violent uh, atmosphere to it, and you'd almost kind of expect more profanity than you're actually hearing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's the least of that movie's issues. Um, now, the movie that I'm more excited to talk about is the one I actually just saw earlier today. Uh, I just saw it this uh, afternoon, and that is the new Dune. This is a story that has a checkered past. Of course, uh, it's based on the the book by Frank Herbert, uh, published back in the 1960s, and just really kind of one of the foundational science fiction uh, sagas. Of course, it was it was turned into a movie uh, in the 1980s by David Lynch. That I think I, I think that if you were a Dune fan going in, you hated it. And if you didn't really know anything about Dune, you enjoyed it for its just weirdness because it's it's definitely kind of a quirky 1980s David Lynch movie. Uh, for most people, it was not a very satisfying adaptation of the book at all. And uh, later on, there was another, I believe there was another TV miniseries um, version of it that came out about 15, 20 years ago. Basically, the way I would describe it, just to kind of give a little context for my review, is that uh, I'm familiar with the story. Um, I think I've at least listened to the book on tape. Um, I'm definitely familiar with the, the David Lynch movie. And so familiar with the characters, familiar with the beats, and, and having that going into this new Dune, that might be the best way to read whether my review is going to match up with your uh, takeaway on this movie. Now, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, Dune is very much a consistent addition to the Denise uh, Villeneuve uh, line of films. Uh, if you've seen uh, Arrival, if you've seen Blade Runner 2049 from a couple of years ago, uh, these are movies that have a, a very, very particular tone and pacing and, you know, just visually really stunning. Uh, a lot of heavy, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer music. If, if you've enjoyed that interpretation of kind of a sci-fi world in those previous movies, I think uh, you'll enjoy this because it's very, very consistent with that um, and appropriate. I don't think he's just putting his own signature on some random story. I mean, I think Dune really fits well with the kind of uh, ponderous tone that, uh, you know, visually striking that that this movie gets. Um, I saw it in IMAX and I definitely recommend, I mean, this, this is, this is a great way to see this movie. I think that, you know, uh, this is, this is a perfect example of a movie that should be seen in the theater. 
it was it was very interesting because in terms of the story, it matched what I remember from uh, the David Lynch version. In terms of I remember this scene, I remember this happening, I remember this happening, I remember this character, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the tone and the interpretation is very, very different. And and I think that that's that's where I say I think that uh, my my guess is that more serious Frank Herbert Dune fans are going to enjoy this a lot more because it definitely takes the material much more seriously, and I think it interprets it in a in a more a more astute way. Uh, I mean, Dune is one of those books, just like so many, that people just kind of assume you can't really translate into film, and and I think for having such a complex uh, mythology and 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 a lot of information and ground to cover. Uh, this movie did a good job. Um, the The Lynch movie had a lot of uh, inner dialogue with characters that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people didn't really like that much. But but this time, uh, the the exposition and you know the bits and pieces of narration, I I felt like even if you came into this movie without having a background in the story that you would be able to keep up without any real issue, um, which may be to say that the movie still hasn't plumbed the the true depths of the source material. Um, now, at the risk of giving you know a slight spoiler, but you may already be aware of this, um, this Dune is, is essentially part one. Um, if you aren't already a fan and if you aren't familiar with the source material, I do wonder if kind of the slow, ponderous, lots of slow motion type of tone uh, will prevent uh, newcomers from engaging with this fully. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I That's just something I think everybody's going to have to figure out on their own because I, I'm familiar enough to follow what's going on and to uh, to remember, like I said, just remember certain interactions and certain scenes from from previous movie, uh, and I enjoyed it. I, I I really did like it quite a bit. I think that uh, the cast is you know is really well put together. You got uh, Timothy Chalamet is the the main character, Paul Atreides, who's re- uh, very much the protagonist. I mean, just just for those who have not uh, who are not already familiar with this, um, it's kind of a complex plot to lay out simply. Um, but it primarily revolves around uh, a single planet called Arrakis where uh, uh, a special uh, product called the spice is, is mined and, and found. And this spice is really kind of the key to interstellar travel and, and various, you know, it, it's, it's the thing, the, the spice is the thing that, that keeps the galaxy going. And so there is competition from different peoples and different worlds to control the production of this spice. And so uh, Timothy Chalamet's character is part of one family uh, that is appointed to manage the production of this spice. And of course, uh, there are more villainous characters who aren't really crazy about that idea. And so that leads to a lot of uh, intrigue and violence and and destruction and revolution. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson plays uh paul's mother uh, lady jessica oscar isaac is his father uh, duke lido uh stellan skarsgård is is quite memorable as uh the 
primary bad guy, uh, Baron Harkonnen. Uh, but you've also got uh, Jason Momoa in there. Uh, Zendaya is in there. You got Josh Brolin, uh, Javier Bardem, uh, Dave Bautista. I mean, there's there's just a lot of really, really great actors in here. And I think that again, coming to this as kind of maybe an outsider, if you if you're not familiar with the source material, they'll they'll keep you on top of things. And I think I think you can follow this and, and enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm looking forward to uh, the second movie, which, as I understand it, has not commenced production yet. Uh, you know, thanks COVID, and uh, so hopefully, hopefully things will come together and we'll be able to see part two because part one, you know, looks like it was worth the effort. And now we got something kind of special for this episode of the Utah Film Pod. We have our first ever actual guest who's a, a longtime friend of mine and a colleague. Uh, we spent several years together on the KJAZ Movie Show. Uh, he wrote for several years for the Ogden Standard Examiner, and now probably most likely know him from his time on the KSL Movie Show every Friday with Doug Wright, my good friend Steve Sales. How are you doing? <laughs> There's, oh, that was this my... Is, that this is where I'll pipe in. I'll, I'll pipe in the applause, <laughs> oh. right? Because because we record this podcast in front of a live studio audience, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's good to see and hear you, Josh. I know, I know. Now, l- luckily, we have actually been able to see each other a little more often lately, which hasn't hadn't been the case for a little while. Your perspective on this, I think, was a, you, you things haven't didn't change as much on your end. I mean, you were consistently covering things when when I think a lot of us weren't right right well we had to uh, kind of change directions a little bit and expand so we started doing the netflix stuff uh, prime video hulu anything that was coming up that was of interest on a friday you know we would try to include it and hoping that you know we'd get back into the theaters Uh, now megaplex did open earlier than a lot of people recall um yeah so right but they were boy they were having a hard time getting content so we were we were doing a lot of smaller films uh you know nothing huge it's just movies that uh, normally wouldn't make the big screen but suddenly uh the theaters were desperate to get them do you do you feel like there were a lot of things that got a chance not necessarily because they were good but because there just wasn't anything around well i ironically i think there were some really good ones that got some daylight that they normally wouldn't have gotten. So, uh, you know, there's little gems that just popped up all over the place, and they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like the movie Coda, it's been out more recently, but okay. uh, that movie opened in theaters and on Apple Plus, and I said, well, that's pretty good. Have you seen this movie, Coda? I, you know, I have heard of it. I have not seen it. It might be my pick of the year so far. So seriously, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's 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 a big endorsement. Let's uh, tell tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's uh, Coda is a uh, an acronym for a child of deaf adults, and in this case, a young woman is uh, she's in high school. Uh, she has an older brother and two parents, and they're all deaf, but she's not. Okay. And the 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 quirk here is that she wants to try out for the choir, and they're like, "What? What's the choir?" <laughs> but they're the parents are so cool. There's a little sass to this, but it's not. It's it's um it's so good natured that it's hard to really give it you know a, a lot of grief. But 
basically it's a coming of age story with a young woman who who can hear and then she, the frustration is her parents own a business and a fishing business and they have to deal with hearing people all the time and so she becomes the translator you're okay. you, you know we need you here all the time you can't be off lollygagging with the, um, uh, you know with choir and learning how to sing and then maybe going to college based on that so it's just it, what part of this is my life and what part of is is a requirement that I need to to be supportive of the family it's a beautiful film oh nice and that you know that's that has consistently been one of my favorite things about about this job has been finding little movies that people just would not hear about otherwise. Right. They just you know they don't have the publicity, they don't have the marketing, they don't have the big stars, and being able to find just these little pleasant surprises. And and I actually kind of want to connect that to another another theme because as much as I love those, you know it's it's still kind of like the big budget, you know blockbusters and let's let's say it. I mean superhero movies and and stuff that is still kind of driving the market and and so the question I want to ask you is are you feeling as burned out on that stuff as I am right now well I feel like we are definitely in the weeds uh, as far as characters and subplots and multiverses it it's a little taxing I, I do get the 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 joy of them I have in fact even watched the what if uh, animated series from that Marvel has done, which I people are all whining about it. I think it's called What If. It's not this is going to happen. <laughs> right, right. It's what if we did something different, and they're like freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, people relax. But I, I, you know, I don't know what the future is. I mean, Disney seems, you know, hell bent to put out a thousand of these every year, and then it, like right. at some point, something's going to break and. Somebody's not going to make as much money, and all of a sudden they're like, "Okay, we're done with superheroes." Yeah, I, you know, because, I mean, we're recording this about halfway through October, and so you know, Shang Chi has come out, and uh, Venom just came out, and but something I've been thinking about lately is, you know, we we very obviously saw an industry change as a result of the pandemic. Right. But I almost feel like it started even before that. I, I, I have just kind of felt like ever since Endgame, right, after that capped off that, that huge 10-year run with Marvel, everything has kind of felt like the aftermath now, right? So they're still putting some movies out. They're still trying to tease new stuff. Like you said, on, on Disney+, Plus, they're just cranking out series after series to kind of keep this going. Are we beating a dead horse? I guess is maybe the, maybe that's like the closest way I could ask the question is like, is the party over and we just haven't admitted it yet? Well, not being a veterinarian, I'm not sure when the horse <laughs> died if it has, and if it has, you know, time will tell. We'll we'll look back on this era and go like, okay, that was the end, and then it was trickle down from there. But I, you know, Disney's managed to do some pretty amazing things, and so who knows? But I. Like the Eternals coming up in a couple, in, well, next week or so. That's right. Weeks. That's right. That one's coming too. Yeah. It, it doesn't even look, I mean, I just look at it like, okay, all these really nice people are coming back to save humanity once again. Right. I, and they're all new characters. I don't I don't know if what the tie-in is or whatever, but um, I do like Ninjani, so that'll be fun. And so, I, it, it, you know, the, the horse might be dead, but yeah. it's hard to say with the perspective we have right now, whether that's true or not. 
is maybe the problem that we're just not the audience for these because, you know, and, and so maybe you could kind of speak to how, how do you deal with the challenge of reviewing a movie that you know is not meant for you? Yeah, that, that's a good question. It is tough and you have to almost um, take yourself. I know that's impossible to do because everybody has biases. Right. But sort of set it aside to a point where you can look at it and go, is this a good movie or not? And maybe if I look at it through, you know, my kid's eyes or something to that effect, then maybe it'll help me better understand what this movie's about. I mean, there's a new My Little Pony, a new generation, and uh, I asked the studio, are you going to send out screeners? And they said no, and I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Because I just I didn't want to rain on that little pony's parade, and so I. Do you do you remember anything about the first one? Uh, but well, just lots of sparkles and rainbows <laughs> and people in trouble. I got ricked over the coals for that one. Oh, you did. I got hammered because I. I did not give it a good review. I thought it was crap. Oh, the bro- the bronies came did, after you. Yeah. Yeah, because I did both a I did both a print review, like I usually would do, but then I also did a YouTube review for it, and the YouTube review just got excoriated, just absolutely destroyed, and and it was, you know, because I I've I've kind of gotten away from reading comments and stuff because they just there's there's never an upside to it for me, and uh, oh yeah, just that one that one was brutalized. I I made a technical error because I identified one of the ponies as a boy, and I guess all of them are girls. And so, (laughs) so I was getting, I was getting hammered for, you know, getting, getting things wrong, but then also just, just the fact that I trashed a My Little Pony movie, you know, it was. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta tread lightly, Uh, Smurfs, uh, Chipmunks, I hate those movies. (laughs) <laughs> with a purple passion, but you got to be somewhat diplomatic because you know there are those out there that do, you know, say what you want to say, but just kind of, you know, kid glove it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you got to, you got yeah. to. So we have to find a way to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of who might be going, you know, and that's, I, I think that most springs to my mind when we're dealing with kind of like these family animated movies like we're talking about, where. I'm not necessarily reviewing it for the kids so much as I am for the parents to say, hey, you know, if you're going to go on a Saturday afternoon and spend all this money to take all the kids and buy popcorn and everything, you know, just because it's cute and well-intended doesn't mean that it's just it justifies that expense. And so I kind of feel like I'm looking out for the parents, even if I know that My Little Pony is not for me in any degree. Oh, well, I, I just call it a drop-off movie, you know. I'm even worse. <laughs> there you go. Hire a babysitter, <laughs> drop them off. And you go see, uh, you know, No Time to Die or something grown-up-y. Uh, because, I mean, you know, ki- kids don't want you there, and you don't want to be there. So, uh, you know, a perfect example of this is the genre of horror, which I'm not a huge fan yeah. of, but I do appreciate it when it's done well. And so yeah. that's, that's the distinction for me. I look at it and like, did that scare the crap out of me And because it was really scary or because they just did cheap jump scares and my thought was you know that actually worked the story was good so you can kind of take yourself i know i'm kind of a wuss when it comes to horror movies but i've got i've seen so many of them now it's like yeah whatever but now you try to find out the the part of it that really makes sense and then go with that 
Yeah. So now, so speaking of which, I mean, and this is very appropriate since it's October. Do you have a a scary movie recommendation? Maybe, maybe for people who are kind of in your same boat, where they're not diehard horror movies fans, but they do appreciate a good scary movie, especially during a time like October. What would you What would you point them to that they might not already know about? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I used to tell people if, if it was a family wide movie, then maybe Lady in White was a good uh, film. Okay. Uh, it's scary, but it's something that the, most of the family can watch. There was a recent, and this one's more of a, if you like slasher movies, which I don't, but there was a recent <laughs> series on Netflix called The Fear Trilogy. Oh. And they had the years, uh, and they actually right, the years right. were earlier, and then, or late, then early, and then earlier. And you're like, what the heck is this? That little trilogy was actually was pretty good for a slasher kind of film. I know we got Halloween Kills coming up, and that to me feels like beating a dead horse. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, because there's still you know, one the, more. You know, there's oh, there really? Yeah, there's called Halloween Ends, and that's oh gosh. Yeah, they're working on that already, and <laughs> so we still have. I don't know how they're going to keep dragging that poor Jamie Lee Curtis out and, and making her do this uh, stuff. But well, we'll see. Maybe she doesn't oh, survive this sad. one. I don't know. Well, she's died before, apparently. I, I, I've only seen, my gosh, maybe like two of them. Maybe I don't think I've seen. I mean, it's definitely. I'm definitely not a fan of the series. I saw, I saw the latest one. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. Kind of like you inferred earlier on. I'm, I'm not a big slasher movie guy. I, I, I appreciate certain aspects of it, but you know, when it, when it comes to horror movies and scary movies, there's stuff I like a lot more. Well, there was one I was just trying to think of, it. Malignant. Oh, okay. Now, I noticed I haven't seen that one, but I did yeah, Malignant see was that one, of one those, got a, a good reaction, right? Uh, well, I, I, was watching, I was watching it downstairs in my workout room, which is a really good theater room because the sound is great and the, nice. uh, it's dark. And people were calling. They knew I was watching the darn thing, and they were calling me and sending me these creepy little heads like, I know what you're doing, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> knock it off. I'm freaking out here. <laughs> so that was a that was a pretty good scary movie, Malignant. Nice. Okay, well, so so since you brought that up, that leads me perfectly into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is, and, and part of the reason I ask this is because in our conversations over the years, you've pointed out different theaters and different places that are kind of, you know, a little more under the radar. And, and so I think this, I, I'd love to hear you speak to this. As of right now, What's the best place to watch a movie? Well, that's a great question because uh, the new Gateway Theaters just opened. The Megaplex Theaters at Gateway just opened last Thursday. And that's right. I was there for the opening ceremonies, but I have yet to see a movie in there. Now, the reason I suggest that might be the best place is that every theater has Atmos sound. It has all the lounge seats heated and reclining. Uh, and it has laser projection in every theater. Okay. So great. as far as state of the art, uh, the new Gateway theaters at, at Megaplex, the Megaplex theaters at Gateway are the most up to date theaters in the country. Wow. Yeah. Nobody has more advanced technology than the Gateway does right now. Having said that, I've enjoyed seeing movies at uh, Valley Fair. Believe it or not. At, I think they're. Well, we've seen a lot of them there lately. We have. I, it, it, typically, 
you know, we see press screenings at a couple of different theaters, you know, from week to week. And, and for a long time, most of them were at the Gateway. There were quite a few at Jordan Commons. Uh, but because of the renovation at Gateway, mostly been, it seems to me like everything's at Valley Fair right now. Is that? Well, I think they figured out that uh, that was centrally located to people that are from yeah. up north. Uh, and then the people that are down at the southern end of the valley. I live in Sandy. So it it's a real easy freeway. And there's no yeah. uh, uh, parking issues you don't have to pay parking like you do at Gateway. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, Jordan Commons is under. They're still renovating that. So. Oh, that's right. They're they are okay. Because so, I was going to say, like I, I, it seemed like there used to be a lot of screenings at Jordan Commons. Yeah, and, so and that'll why they they're, were. they'll be up and running by the holidays. I think they'll be done by then. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll probably go back and forth a little bit, but I I wouldn't be opposed to going to the Gateway now just to see how. Uh, I'm told it's just. I mean, it's just as good as it gets. Yeah. The reason I ask it is because one of the things that I wonder is, have we reached a point where you're better off in your home theater than to actually go out? But then I think it's also fun to kind of think about places like, you know, because even though the, the, the accommodations aren't very good, the tower has always been a fun, crazy place to see kind of one of their wacky movies, right? Oh, yeah, you know, no go, question. Especially if it's Ruben and Ed. Yeah. Especially if it's um, a period piece, you know, maybe back set in the 40s or 50s. Then you feel like the nostalgia of the building helps create the ambiance for the film. Now, did you, have you ever seen anything over at the organ loft? I've been to the organ loft and experienced... Uh, I have... Well, actually, yes. I, I did see an old... Uh, now that you've mentioned it, an old Buster Keaton yeah. series at the organ loft. I don't know if they're still doing it. It's been a long time since I've been over there, but it just it just made me think, oh, yeah, that's right, because they would have the old silent films, and then the guy would play the organ live to them. And, I mean, it's, you know, you're just kind of basically sitting on just regular chairs. Like they're not yeah, but the, the whole thing really. is all around you. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, was, no, I went to one, a birthday party there once, and they did a video oh, of the guy. Uh, and Blaine Gale, who is the ultimate organist for any kind of a movie like that, he was adding his two bits through the whole thing and it was hilarious and he's so good at it I, I haven't spoken to him in ever forever and i hope he's still with us but man if you get a chance to see blaine gale behind the mighty Wurlitzer at either the egyptian <laughs> up in ogden or at the organ loft i mean go nice nice so you mentioned that the jordan commons is doing uh renovations as well and, yeah. and what i'm curious to see is if they preserve what what a spot that I love to see movies at, which is their the Jordan Commons IMAX on their row of recliners that you know right when you walk into the theater rather than going up to the balcony, which is usually where they would stick us for press screenings, that that row of recliners that's just kind of dead center in the you know so you're you're kind of just barely looking up at the screen. Yeah, and if you recline but, it, you're you're in perfect shape. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that that I think. Until something else, maybe you know, maybe at the gateway, unseats it. I think that's my number one spot. I well, I don't think that they're not doing an IMAX at Gateway. It's it's um, they they did have twelve screens there. It's now nine. All those oh, okay. The first three on the left as you come in, the big theaters, those are all gone. So basically, oh, wow. what they've done is gone from about three thousand seats to less than fifteen hundred. When you mention wow. home theater experience, that's what they're doing. One yeah. of the biggest complaints is people are talking. They're on their cell phones. They're kicking my seat. <laughs> and by creating those vast rows with the walls, 
that goes away. And you don't, you, I have a friend who says, yeah, I got Atmos sound. I'm like, bull crap. You got the seven <laughs> channel Atmos. They have 56 channels oh, wow. in the Atmos screens. It's a very expensive um, ordeal. And I'm shocked that they put it in all nine of the Gateway theaters, but they did. That's I'm cool. not trying to do a promo here for Megaplex, but they just seem to really enjoy. Well, well, we did used to be employed by the good people of LHM. So. That's true. That is true. <laughs> I actually ran into Carly at the grand opening oh, nice. at the Gateway, and she said, I miss doing the KJS movie show. Oh, that was that was such a good time. That was. We, if Dean had hair, he would have pulled it out. I mean, it was just <laughs> we were a nightmare for that man. And I love it. Oh, oh, that was well. And and see, this is this is kind of the sobering thing. I was I was just thinking about this, and I realized, you know, that it, it's it's been longer since it was canceled than it was on the air. Like we we were, I mean, I was there with you guys because you guys did it for a little while before I came on, and then it was about three and a half years with me. And it's that was that was like five and a half years ago now because what wasn't it? It was summer of 2016 when you know and i I don't even say that like we were canceled so much as the station was bought yeah right because that's that's basically what happened was that channel two bought k jazz from lhm yeah and so they kind of cleaned the slate and started over so because oh yeah no i I, I, i'm terrible with dates you could come up with you know, you could have said it 20 years ago, and I'd say, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> well, it all becomes, well, in, I mean, thanks to COVID, everything, it seems like everything I in, that in my mind happened a year ago actually happened two years ago. Like, every, just the yeah. whole the whole kind of perception of just kind of lining things up chronologically has just been kind of tossed around. And, you know, I mean, I, I was even going to say, like, this this week was the first week we got an actual screening list from the Allied people. Yeah. Since since it shut down, as I if I'm if I'm right, I mean, because we've been getting individual screenings, just kind of like we were talking about. But as but they haven't actually given us like the traditional weekly screening list. For yeah, no, a that's, year and a half. that's true, and it's only because I'm um, you know the world is starting to reawaken and. Theaters are coming back, and you notice more and more of these big, big, uh, like No Time to Die, in theaters only. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of partial because I miss, I've missed the big theater experience. I, I have to admit, being lazy and being able to watch some of these movies at home all this time, never having to go anywhere, uh-huh. had its had its joys. But it's also, you miss movies like No Time to Die or Dune need to be seen on a big screen. So, so I have two questions that, that spring from that comment. And I, and I, I mean, for, first of all, I agree 100%, which is probably part of the, you know, maybe, maybe the biggest weak point on the KJS movie show was that you and I didn't disagree often enough. <laughs> There's no fun when you don't fight. <laughs> it was, you know, we had to, I guess we had, we should, maybe we should have faked some more fights and then Channel 2 would have been more impressed. But no, uh, <laughs> No, I was because I was going to ask actually, what your biggest pet peeve is as far as like audience behavior. Oh. But then I'd also like to talk a little bit. Well, let's go ahead and answer that one first. Well, I remember specifically a Saturday morning where we were watching. Uh, you know, in Saturday mornings, first of all, you, you really are ticking me off because my one day to sleep <laughs> in, and so you're dragging me out to see a movie, uh, right. and 
So there's several pet peeves. The, but this one was the perfect storm. I had a lady sitting next to me who was had something that she brought from home wrapped in cellophane at least 14 times. So there was like 14 layers <laughs> of cellophane to get to. That's one on the left. On the right was a man who brought his uh, hearing impaired wife and then he conti- he decided that he was going to give her the whole spiel yeah. of the movie while the movie was going. That's two. Yeah, then the poor girl point. behind me uh, had ants in her pants and she was kicking my seat. So that oh. was three. And then... Um, I can't remember if there was any more beyond that. I just sat there in total terror going, <laughs> and I have to review this movie, and I want to hate it with everything I owned, but I realized that it was all because of the ambient distractions. Well, and that's and that's a challenge, right? Because oh. there are... Phones. There oh, are I forgot the phone that, guy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because there, are, there are, are movies that I've sometimes had to question, am I reviewing this appropriately because the context in which I saw it was so aggravating that I worry that it made me dislike the movie more. And and so I and of course I, I'll wind up overcorrecting and kind of giving something the benefit of the doubt, even if it was a piece of garbage. And so I almost wonder if I've given positive reviews to just trashy movies <laughs> because I didn't want to hold the idiot kicking my chair against the movie I was watching. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> well I uh, well, to my credit, once I, I was watching The Green Book, which I happened to like. I know a lot of people didn't. They thought it was weirdly racist or whatever. But uh, I liked it too, Steve. There was this I'm... older gentleman. Actually, it was the same translating guy uh, was sitting behind me <laughs> with his wife. And they were talking just, you know, like they were the only ones in the building. And uh, my girlfriend at the time said, uh, she says, your arm is just so tight. Are you okay? And I oh, said, no. I, I've got to do something. I can't sit here. They're ruining a, a beautiful movie. And so she goes, well, let's get up and move. And I said, okay. But I stood up and I said, you are ruining this movie for me, sir. <laughs> and he looked completely like, how did you get in my living room? And I'm yeah. like, oh. Just oblivious. I just wanted to grab him and throw him against the wall. But I thought, no, no, no. Be cool. Uh, well, and yeah, I no, think this, because now the luxury seats and the widening and the, I yes. think that's going to help a lot. No, and so 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 maybe to kind of put a positive spin on this, I think that's a that's that's a perfect point because the the luxury just just the the logistics of it have have eliminated so much of that that I I agree that that does make me that much more pleased that people you know theaters are pushing towards the luxury seating because it really does you know because I I love stadium stadium seating as much as the next guy but that's really what created the whole kick your seat thing. I mean, I don't remember having that problem when we were just kind of in the normal, you know, kind of level. Like nobody nobody kicks my seat when I'm over at, uh, not Tower of the, the other, Broadway. oh my gosh. Yeah, Broadway, yeah. Nobody's ever kicking your seat there. Because well, that's because in our It's house, not lined up. Yeah. And they're not bringing well, kids <laughs> to those movies, so. Good point, yeah. Give me your take on, how did, how did you feel about No Time to Die? Now I remember, I remember when we walked out and gave them our little you know, because when we when we walk out of these press screenings, they ask us to to give a, a quick one line. At least I think and I really kind of hate doing line. that because I like to kind of ruminate. You know, let it. It is hard. It it is kind of hard to find, you know, the right thing to say. And yeah, because a lot of these movies, I feel like I need to digest them for six months before I even know what I want to say. But but I remember that you said the first thing that you, that you said about it was that it was long. It is. It's long. Um, 
I appreciate what they tr what they did here. I, I I love that you know this is the swan song um, for Daniel Craig and without giving hopefully too much away here, I just everybody you know like oh the ending was so wonderful and to me um, James Bond doesn't give up ever. That's his mm. thing. He gets out of every situation. I don't care if there are nanobots in somebody's system or the missiles are coming. He figures out a way. He doesn't stop. He ah. doesn't quit. So if he just stands there and you know waits for whatever to happen, I was like, I was actually ticked off. I go, you've interesting. You've taken a character who I have loved, and and you know, so I get that Sean was a very bad boy and all that kind of stuff, but. It, it he just his character was that you never ever ever quit you never give up, and I felt that they did here and I it bugged the crap out of me. That's just you know I hadn't really thought about that in that way and you know we might as well just say you know spoiler alert on this because I I, I want to be able to kind of talk about this and talk about what happened. I guess I should have said that earlier. <laughs> oh no no wait you know I I think we're fine I don't I don't think you're. I don't think we're going to get in trouble at all. Um, but just, just the fact that the, the way I read the ending was it's the end of the Daniel Craig era. It's the, you know, because this was the 25th, right? Was yes. this the 25th Bond movie? Yeah. So there's there's kind of like this commemorative. In the canon. And, there's two others outside of that. Yeah. yeah. And so, so in that sense, I kind of appreciated the fact that, okay, well, we're going to do something which we have, to my knowledge, never done before in a Bond movie, which is actually kill the guy. Right. Like yeah. This is this is the first movie where he actually dies and doesn't, you know, just get shot off a train and come back six months later or whatever. <laughs> right. But and I and I appreciated that. But I like what you're saying, too, because it does kind of fly against the concept of Bond. And at the same time, I'm wrestling with it because one of the things I liked about this movie was that it didn't feel like a regular James Bond movie. No. Because and so with Bond movies, it's like, okay, well, you've got the spy stuff and you've got the cool cars and you've got the femme fatales and you have the action and all this, all these individual elements that think, oh, well, this should add up to like, this should be a home run, right? Yeah. But I never watch a Bond movie and think, oh, can't wait to see that again. That was great, you know? And, and I think that, I think part of it was timing because I started watching I mean, the, the Bond movies that were coming out as I was coming of age were really lame. I mean, I, I, I like Pierce Brosnan just fine, but, but those movies, just the lame double entendres, and just it, it just felt really too funny and quirky for its own good. Yeah, even and corny a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the, by the time, you know, he's, he's having this, this weird back and forth with Denise Richards as a, uh, a nuclear physicist, it's just, I'm sorry. This that is was just, Christmas I'm Jones, done. by the way. Right, right. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> so, you, you can't remember years. And, no, but I can remember you stupid can, names. But you can remember the stupid character names in old James Bond movies. Yeah, yeah so, so, so when it came to things like, like Skyfall and then No Time to Die, I think one of the, the reasons I enjoyed these movies is because they weren't traditional Bond movies. Right. Even though if you kind of you know, pull it apart, the formula is still there, right? It's like yeah, they give you all the regular stuff. Yeah. Plus, they give you in this one a lot. I thought it was a lot chattier and a lot more feels, obviously. You oh know, yeah. When you yeah. see what's involved, um, 
but you know I, I thought that whole nanobot thing that you know once uh, you got him you can't get him out I'm like okay first of all that's a cheap cheap movie device <laughs> to throw in something nope can't fix it I yeah. thought that was terrible it ticked me off because you know uh, it's so new that maybe in two years you're like oh you'll never get a liver transplant oh yeah that's like you can go to 7-eleven get a river liver transplant now it's just <laughs> it bugged me like oh well you know if you can't do touch hello and blah 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 then i guess you might as well just stand there and catch a missile yeah. no do you uh, think do you think it was just one of those things like because obviously I, well i think it's obvious that that one of the conditions to doing Force Awakens for Harrison Ford was that they finally had to kill Han Solo, and and I wonder well, they, if he Daniel, wanted to die, by the way. Yeah, right. And so I wonder if kind of similarly, since Daniel Craig was like ready to say enough is enough with this thing, like did they kill him because he demanded that the only way I will do this is if you finally kill this character off so that you can go use somebody else? And well, then, but and, then what do you call the new guy? You know, John Bond? Or I mean. I don't know. James Bond is always just that wink, wink. You know, he's still with yeah. us. But yeah. this is the first one where he's like, oh, okay. Well, so we're doing Jamie Bond now? Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's That's right. It's That's wide right. open. Yeah. They better not yeah. screw it up because he he left it on a pretty high note, I think. Yeah. No, I, again, speaking as somebody who's not a huge fan of the series, I would still say that, I mean, my my... My initial reaction is to, to say he's the second best Bond, that, that Connery's the best one and that Daniel Craig is number two. But, you know, that's that's coming from somebody who hasn't seen all the movies, for one thing. Well, to be honest, if it wasn't, if Sean wasn't, I, I think he was so critical to the early James Bond that there wouldn't be a James Bond now if uh, yeah, Sean true. hadn't built that legacy to start yeah, with. I agree. So these guys are all riding his coattails as far as I'm concerned. But I, I like I like the way they... I mean, I didn't really care for Roger Moore. I thought he was too cheeky. But uh, Pierce Brosnan is too pretty. But he was he was more back to not as you know goofy. Um, uh-huh. Daniel Craig, when he's you know, when they said, "Would you like a shake and not certain?" He says, "Do I look like I give a dang?" I thought, <laughs> "Okay, this guy is cool, and yeah. he's going his own way." And but he's still James Bond. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I could I could see. I could see them going with a, you know, with a female James Bond, but yeah, no, I could, I could see him doing that. I could see him just kind of, you know, I, I somebody somewhere said that uh, Idris Elba would be a great Bond, and like that'd be cool. I mean, I just kind of yeah. like him and everything oh, I yeah. see, you know. So, His name so is there. really like one of the top five, I think, that's been yeah. discussed. He's tough, yeah. you know. He's sophisticated. He's suave. Mm-hmm. He definitely has the James Bond quality. So. So okay, so enough enough James Bond. I don't want to keep you all day, um, but uh, but but this is this is the the main question that I wanted to, to toss your way because I think this is this this is just kind of a fun. We we've actually done this ourselves where you know my my co-host and I have used this to kind of frame like the discussion of an entire episode, um, and you know you you can you can say as much or as little as you'd like um, on this for you, but. What we what we like to do is kind of have a conversation where, 
you know, because obviously as a critic, you get asked all the time, oh, what's your favorite movie? You oh. know, it's kind of, well, how, do, how on earth do I ask? You know, how, how do I, you know, I've, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of movies and, and, you know, there's no way to just pick one, you know, you might be able to pick one per genre or something, but, uh, but, uh, a friend of mine, uh, maybe you came across him at, at times. Uh, Travis Poppleton used to write for KSL. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah, he had this. He had this great idea where you know he would just kind of have like a getting to know you conversation with somebody, and he would say, you know, what are the, what are the three movies that would help me get to know you better? Like, and it's so he's effectively saying like, what are your three favorite movies? But with a little bit of a twist in that, you know, these are movies that you know if I want to understand who you are. As, as a fan, as a person, as just kind of, you know, what you're interested in, what three movies instead of just one would be, you know, a good starting place. And so... Well, so, with, so, with that in mind, I hesitate to mention the first one, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, what a great movie, though. I, I'm not sure that it, it... Well, maybe it is me. I don't know, but... <laughs> that movie uh, has always been just one of my favorite films. Um but then, like in comedies, it's um, believe it or not, it's um, Billy Crystal's uh, City Slickers. I just think that is the funniest darn movie. Oh, that's a good one too. I love yeah. that movie. Um, I don't. Know, a third one. There's so many. You know, I I kind of look at it as is if it comes on TV, will I watch the darn thing? Even though I have a copy of it in the other room, commercials and all, and gotcha. I'll sit there like okay. an idiot. <laughs> and one of those movies is Castaway with Tom Hanks. Okay. I, for okay. some reason, just love watching him, I don't know, struggle on that little island and being smart enough to figure out how to get off of it. I, and then the whole thing with Helen Hunt and, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to, uh, you're the love of my life. And how do you work around that when you get to the end of that movie? It just tore my heart out. So I oh, guess wow. I'll go with those three. Okay, so so one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yep. City slickers. Yeah. And castaway. Yeah. Some some good ones. So I'm, I don't. I'm trying to think like if I can psychoanalyze you here and see if I see any 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 trends or any any through lines. Well, I do like the the maverick nature of Jack Nicholson's character. In, oh yeah. In uh, in cuckoo's nest because he he sees the little society that they've created in this uh, in this. Uh, mm-hmm. insane asylum and he's gonna rock the boat and man i'm all about rocking the boat so i think that's <laughs> maybe why especially as as horrifyingly screwed up as that asylum was with nurse ratchet i just uh-huh. i i see his character uh randall as just being like you know what this is wrong and it needs to be right and there are people in here that are just vegetating because nobody wants to take the time to Get to know them, including Danny DeVito and some of those. Oh, other, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was his first all, film, I think. Well, and even even Brad Dorff is in, in yeah, that Brad one Dorf, too, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. 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 Like, it's just it's just one of those great movies that I mean, obviously, it's great for a lot of the expected reasons. You know, well written, well acted, really great story, all that kind of thing. But it's also kind of one of those fun movies where you can just see all kinds of familiar faces in the background that you know from other things because but they're not really featured because this is before they became you know before he became Danny DeVito and before he became Christopher Lloyd and, right and uh and exactly I know and and I have to say that that movie has easily one of my all-time favorite endings 
the, the emotional release and just kind of the elation of, uh, you know, when, when, when chief decides enough is enough Yeah. that I, yeah. And, and the music, I've, I even downloaded a couple of tracks of, you know, just off of iTunes of the, of the music. Um, because like the, 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 the music that they're playing as he pulls up that sink in the, you know, I don't know if it's like a washroom or, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Like even even just listening to the music just kind of connects you to what was, what was happening and good times. And, and no, I, and I I love City Slickers too. Like that was that was a fun one. You know, I that's but right. But like right. now, here's another movie that I would just that my kids and I watched together. Tom, yeah. Tommy Boy. It's a big <laughs> dumb movie, but oh my gosh, we laugh so hard in Tommy Boy. That's funny. one of my daughters is, has all the. All the lines, all the mannerisms—it's pretty funny. I look back now, and it's like, oh man, you know, I kind of wish I would have enjoyed Chris Farley when I had the chance a little bit more. You well, know, his, because his living in a van down by the river was one oh, of the yeah. greatest skits. Which, which is oddly, I mean, not not, uh, I, you know, it, it, it's not prophetic, but like, what's the right term? Because living in a van is now cool. <laughs> Oh, van life. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, right. No, I just, that's that's exactly what I keep thinking about. Every time I hear about the whole van life thing, I think about Chris Farley living in a van down by the river and how now that's like this <laughs> the thing. fashionable, cool, trendy thing. What's weird is like all these young people are doing it, you know, like, oh, we're going to take a couple years off and do the van life thing. I'm like, wait a minute. The rest of us went and worked and, you know, saved up our money to do van life later in, you know, <laughs> later on, like, like nomad land kind of thing. But... Right, right. This like you, you understand how you're going to poop, right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is all not very <laughs> – it's very primitive, folks, whatever you're thinking here. Nice, nice. Okay, well, that's – I, like I said, I was, I was really excited to see your – you know, what your three choices were going to be, and uh, I am – I'm sure uh, I'm going to go like, like, oh, no, I should have mentioned blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. Well, see, when we've done it, the funny thing is we've always felt like we had to give – like kind of an honorable mention caveat thing because there was always a movie that we wanted to include. Oh, you mean or, like in the top 10 of the year? Well, just like, I mean, for, for me, it's hard for me to not say that Star Wars is my favorite movie because it was the first movie I ever saw in a, in a theater. And it acted as kind of like the foundation for my my creativity as, a, as an artist, as you know, drawing and photography and all this kind of stuff, and and so it's it's kind of like ground zero genesis for me being a movie fan, but I at the same time I don't know if I can look at A New Hope and say that's one of my all time three favorite movies. You know what I mean? So well, I almost it's about kind of put how that as how it um, impacts you. Yeah, and it may not you know somebody else might like well, that's a stupid like I took a date to that movie. That's how different our ages are. And she's rolling her eyes, and I can hear, and it was the first and last time we went out. I thought, right, right. You don't get. I mean, I see that this sci-fi might be not your up your alley, but why are you Uh doing all the? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you'll appreciate this because I hadn't had the same problem when when I talk to people about music because when it when people say, "Oh, what's your favorite band?" How can I not say the Beatles? Right. But like saying that Star Wars is your favorite movie and saying the Beatles are your favorite band kind of feels like a cliche. It's just kind of an obvious answer because they really are 
in a lot of ways the best of the best, you know. But at the same, yeah, you know, if you just said like just, Citizen Kane, you know, was your favorite movie, I'd, I'd call it BS because like, <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's just a pompous answer instead of a real answer. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And unless well, it uh, is your favorite, then I guess I should ask you what your three are. So, you know, so, so I came up with, so I had, I had Star Wars as kind of my my honorable mention type thing. Um, I went with American Graffiti was my first mm-hmm. one, and uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty was number two. The one with I wanted it. the one with yeah, um, ben with Ben Stiller. Stiller. Okay. Yeah. So that was number two. Number three was the Blues Brothers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that speaks to your musicology, because that's got a lot of great music in it. Uh, yeah, I I knew you liked the Blues Brothers. I didn't know you liked it that much. That's yeah, great. no, and it's 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 kind of weird, but uh, but this is about you, Steve. So let's uh, let's finish off <laughs> by by plugging. So where where can the good listeners of the Utah Film Pod find oh. more from Steve Sales? Well, I I don't do any pod things or anything like that. I just uh, three hours live on Fridays with on uh, on KSL. We do do a. Um, an after party that's on Facebook uh, for about 20 minutes talking about a topic like if it's you know Bond week we do the fav- favorite Bond movie or favorite Bond moment that's what we did last week so that's on Facebook and then I also do like maybe a seven or eight minutes uh, at 7 a.m. on uh, K-Bear the rock station I've just known Mick and Allen for a thousand years and uh, we just keep gravitating back to each other and talking about movies so that's really the only place you can you can hear me I'm afraid unless you tune into Josh's little it's been an honor and uh you know I'm I'm honored to have my longtime friend as uh, as our first guest it's been we've had we've had good times and uh Steve thanks so much hey always a pleasure it's been been good I love you Josh you're a good man love you too Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for episode number seven of the Utah Film Pod. Thanks again to Steve Sales for coming on and being our first official guest. Uh, really enjoyed catching up with him a little bit and uh, looking forward to what's coming down the line. Hopefully we'll hear again from, from Danny soon and see how she's doing with her, her uh, student film and uh, just kind of catch up on everything else that's going around in the state of Utah and beyond in the world of film. So thanks again for joining us. Be sure to leave comments. Give us feedback. Let us know how you're doing. If you got ideas for subjects, things you'd like us to talk about that you'd be interested in, send them on over. Let them fly. And in the meantime, just have a great time and good safe time, and we'll catch you later. <laughs>